politics. It's a dirty word. Bring it up at a dinner party and you'll be lambasted for bringing down the tone and sharing the after eight mints. Mention it at church and you'll be accused of upsetting the pleasant and peaceful atmosphere. But is it right for it to be a subject that we ignore? Some say the political situation today demands our attention more than ever. In the UK, Brexit has caused a storm of economic uncertainty that has exacerbated political fractures and challenged the very foundations of democracy. Our friends over the pond are also experiencing a time of unprecedented political unrest, with some news outlets now referring to the US as the divided states of America, emphasising the power that issues like gun control, abortion and immigration have to cause deep-rooted division and social unrest. Though political disunity has been a feature of democratic governments since they began, it's clear that the advent of 24-hour news, rampant sensationalism and social media have helped to heighten a sense of fear and despair in our modern society. The inevitable overspill from the public sphere has leaked into our homes and families as future narratives become more bleak and increasingly less optimistic. So during such tumultuous times, should Christians have something to say in opposition to the doom and despair? In America, the answer is overwhelmingly yes. In fact, if you don't get God involved in some way, you struggle to get elected. In the UK, though, it's the complete opposite, with Tony Blair setting an unsettling precedent in the late 1990s when he defiantly uttered the words, we don't do God. So what's the answer to these two extremes? Do we plow in with our message of hope, or do we bear to the idea that the political and economic system is its own animal and will always reach its own natural equilibrium, so we should just let things run their course? That's the topic of today's discussion. Welcome to The Thinking Room. Welcome back to The Thinking Room, giving you room to think about faith, life, and the world in which we live. At the top of the show, we just want to say thank you for listening. The purpose of The Thinking Room is to try and start a conversation among men about the things that shape our lives, our homes, our families, and our personal identities as men of God. If you've been enjoying the content that we've been putting out, or if it's helped you in any way, then we'd love it if you would subscribe and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. It really helps us to get the conversation going, to keep us talking and to keep us thinking. So why don't you do it now? Just pause me for a second and pull up the screen that allows you to tap that little five-star icon. Or if you're feeling adventurous, you can even press the share button, add a cheeky comment. Go on, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. What do you reckon, Dan? You think they'll do it? I think they will, yeah. After that, extended. Was that was that convincing? It was. Excellent. Well, thank guys for uh, being in the studio with us today. We've got some people from over the pond, as usual. We love having uh, our resident American, Adam, in the studio with us. Thanks for being here today, Adam. Yeah, good to be back, Joel. Thanks for having me. And we've got Simon as well, the Kiwi. You know, this is a political, this is an international topic today, you know. So we're, we're spreading our wings, getting all over the world. And uh, thanks for being here. You're, you're, you're looking... Decidedly less Kiwi and a little bit more French-Italian with that moustache today, though. Yeah, I'm going for the whole European look. <laughs> you're, you're getting yourself fully integrated since you've uh, got as your a, British citizenship. That's right. And Adam, I think you've... Both of us. Both of us. We are, we are wow. British now. We pledged, the, our, pledged our allegiance to the right. Queen, didn't we? We have. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I, as long as you guys both stay here now, because I, you know, I just see so many people get their citizenship and then the next thing, they, they just leave. They're like, I want to stay here long enough to become a citizen. And then they're like, all right, I'm off. That was great. Thanks no, for having no, me. No, no, no. This is, this is for life, Joel. This is, 
This is a lifelong commitment. It's not a one-night stand. I'm here in Britain. All right. I think I, that I means... Love her. I think that means Adam is committing himself to episode two, so stay tuned. Anyway, Dan, um, you got anything along the lines of what we've been talking about today? You've been reading anything interesting around the sp- political sphere that you can enlighten with us? Yeah, I suppose one book... Enlighten us with today? One book I mentioned that is probably... Well, probably actually one of the best leadership books I think I've ever read, but it's a book called Team of Rivals um, by, by an American writer, actually, Adam called Doris Kearns Goodwin, who, she writes a lot of political, um, like, uh, biographies. And it's called Team of Rivals because when Abraham Lincoln was going into, um, up for election, um, his sort of fiercest rivals were basically sort of being, you know, being political and cutting him down. But when he was elected and, the, you know, the Civil War kicked off, he, the situation changed in the country and he had to kind of bring his rivals together as a team so those that kind of like vehemently hated him and were out for his blood, he, he brought them because of their skills and what they had to offer. They were like the best men for the job to kind of navigate through this civil war and still kind of have his dream of kind of seeing, you know, the whole um, slavery issue dealt with in America. So, and I think the thing that was more, like, it stands out, it's so unique that you just don't see in modern life is he's, he was extraordinarily magnanimous mm-hmm. which is which 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 kind of comes through in the book which is when throughout his entire career when the his rivals would slander him cut him even to his face go behind his back and be political as they do he would he would have such a light touch and brush it off yeah that he it's really what carried him through he didn't really take offense he had his eyes on what he wanted to do with the civil war and the slavery and you don't see that in modern life. The only person you can think of like that in history is Jesus. Yeah. So it, 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 it literally shouts through in the book this character that really made him a great leader. So I recommend it as a as a book to read on the ins and outs of politics during that time. Um, you know, he was a legendary man. I definitely was think anointed for that cause at that time. Very good. Name and the uh, author of that book again. Um, Team of Rivals. Um, it's what the if the you know the film. Uh, Lincoln is based on the book. Oh, okay. By Doris Kearns Goodwin. Yes, yes, yes. I haven't seen it. You, you've seen that film, haven't you, Adam? Yeah, years ago on an airplane. Of course. Yep. Yeah. What American wouldn't spend time on an airplane watching the Lincoln movie? Well, you know, this this political conversation, it's not, it's not one that, you know, brings people around the table in deep excitement. And it's not, you know, like I said at the top of the show, it's not one that Christians particularly want to talk about. But, you know... Since the since uh, what happened last summer in particular, this one's been on my heart. I, th- I feel like we've been uh, we've had to get it into the thinking room some somewhere. It's uh, it's been inevitable, really. I've been feeling. Um, so last summer, Tim Farron was riding high as the leader of the Liberal Democrat Party. Things were good for him. Uh, he'd obviously reached a very good stage in his career, leading that party, um, living his dream as a political leader. But as a result of his faith he actually had to step down. He said, in his words, he was torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. He was repeatedly repeatedly quizzed by interviewers about his views on homosexuality, and at times he appeared to struggle with the question before eventually saying that he, he did not think gay sex was a sin before then, you know, there was a whole... It went round and round, you know, between Christians and uh, politicians, and then he had to kind of like where you basically had to 
to, to change his position because of his faith in. He says, journalists have every right to ask what they see fit. The consequences of the focus on my faith is that I have found myself torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. So, sent shockwaves through mm. um, the political community. I, in my opinion, it should have sent shockwaves through the Christian community as well with uh, a political leader having to step down for no other reason other than the fact that he's a Christian. Uh, but I I don't think it did send shockwaves through the Christian community. I think it went largely unnoticed. I don't think there was enough uh, support for him as a Christian. That That's just my view. That's just from what I saw. I could be wrong. But it does raise the inevitable question, the big question, which is, do does Christianity and politics mix or should they be kept separate? Dan? Well, I'd say yes and no, and it depends on the context. Okay. If when when there's social issues and you know inhumane treatment of people and yeah, you know, Christians need to be in the they need to be in the fight. They need to be in the mix of standing up for the oppressed. That's okay. that's the core of being a Christian. And politics is where legislation's trained, you know, changed and a voice is heard. And I think in that instance, Christians need to be at the forefront of that, like Wilberforce, you know, lots of great people in history that have been anointed and led the way. But at the same time, I think it's not it's not be all and end all. If you look at like Jesus, he didn't choose to change the world like through yeah. the political framework. He chose to address the hearts okay. and to work with the people on the ground. You know what I mean? So I think in that sense, it is the the, the problem of the world is not going to be changed through legislation and politics is going to be changed from a transformation of the heart. Okay. Plenty plenty to think about there. You've uh, you've laid the table nicely and we're, we're going to get in some more detail on that. But Adam, your 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 initial thoughts on that question? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's vital for Christians to be involved in politics, but I think sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Mm-hmm. In that, we we sometimes have very strong opinions about issues. Um, again, I'm generalizing here for for Christians, but um, particularly in America, we might have very strong feelings and opinions on issues and our ability to hash those out in a debate or in kind of a, a, the arena of thought is sometimes lacking and that sometimes make, makes us poster people right. for, um, for abuse, for taunting, for um, whatever it might be. And sometimes rightly so. There's layers to truth, I think, that Sometimes we don't, as believers, have the ability to explain or to thoroughly have a discussion about, unfortunately. And so, I think, yeah, but we need to be we need to be educated about what's happening. And and often it's it's ciphering what in in the news is is real, what's what's embellished, what is half truth, what's only part of a story, and 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 really how to think about things. Okay, Simon, I appreciate you're coming into this one late. But um, any any thoughts on your way over here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Christianity in an ideal world should certainly be represented at some level um, within the arena of politics, yeah. like education is, yeah. um, like like many of the things are in, in life. But again, I would probably land where Dan landed in that I think for the world to change... Um, you know, Christianity doesn't have to be represented in the arena of politics. I do believe that true transformation comes from, mm. you know, the message of the Christian faith, yes. which is believing in Christ 
And okay. whether that's in a pleasant political environment or whether it's not, you know. I don't even think there's anything that exists which is called a pleasant political environment. <laughs> but just, just what did you guys make of that, that story? When that story broke last year, were you thinking, okay, well, that's not surprising, or were you thinking along the lines, there's something fundamentally wrong here, something, we're on a dangerous path here? Or mm. were, were you kind of like, this is, this is a sign of the times, this is where we're at, this yeah, is... Yeah, I mean, I think the, the ship's already sailed, though, isn't it, on this kind of, this kind of area, isn't it? And I think I, I have sympathy for him, mm-hmm. because you can see, actually see, and part of you feels it is pretty tough to um, be a minority voice when you're yeah. at the forefront of, you know... The people's voice that's um, at large, but at the same time, there are there are people who can manage it. Well, I, I also feel like I didn't really manage it that well, and I think wisdom can go a long way as well. You know, I don't think it was that tactful, and I think people like Jacob Rees-Mogg have been how they've handled those sorts of questions have been yeah. like he, he's whether you whatever you believe, you know, in this area, he's he, he states it like this and states it like that, and he. He kind of he gets a bit lamb blasted for it, but he kind of gets away with it still. Yeah. Um, do you not do you not feel though that he was pushed? And I I feel that Tim Farron was one of the few who who talked more openly about his faith than other politicians do. I know we do have some politicians um, in the parliament. You know, Theresa May is mm. a professed Christian. She does, um, I believe, go to church every week, but she doesn't really talk about her faith. That much, kind of, kind of following the line of mm. um, that warning from Tony Blair back in the late 1990s, where he said, "We don't do God," and I feel like that that precedent has been set. And he was very much viewed as a successful prime minister. And there's there's not too many prime ministers who want to go against that type of thinking. But I do feel that to a certain extent, Tim Farron was more than others backed into a corner to a certain extent, and there was a, there was a certain amount of reductionism going on where they mm. just wanted to reduce his idea down to a single soundbite on a single topic and box his entire value set into into one box and say we're, we're going to evaluate you on this one thing alone and nothing else and pretty much nothing else that you believe or nothing else you have to say really matters because if we don't agree on this then nothing else is really important mm. yeah and it's tough, isn't it? You can, you can see why you have sympathy on him. Yeah, and I, and I think the way the way he approached the issue was probably he he could have been more wise, but at the same time, all all he was trying to do was was defend his faith. And I think in the end, he was backed into a corner into saying something that he he didn't ultimately believe, and then he had to reverse it. And then he says, "Okay, this is this is untenable." So. For anybody looking on there, for young people growing up today, and maybe they've got a heart for politics, or anybody who's just looking out there and saying, you know, this current situation is just a mess. We need someone in there who can actually get in there and be um, a person of integrity, a person of honour, do things a different way. Do you think it is easy for them as a Christian to be able to get into this sphere? And if, and if, if, if someone, if you were speaking to listeners out there who are maybe thinking that way, or, you know, young people thinking about getting into politics, what kind of advice would you give them mm. uh, when it comes to how much they talk about their faith and how they bring their faith into the political sphere? Mm. I, I just think, like, Jacob Rees-Mogg's a great example of how he's handled the media. Mm. Because he's, he's very intelligent, and he's very clear in how he says, look, this is why my beliefs align with the doctrine of the Catholic Church, which is, encompasses, you know, yeah. lots of people. So he kind of says, look, 
I'm not going to change any legislation. I'm not going to... Whatever I think about abortion, I'm not going to suddenly change something. Yeah. He says, my belief, I'm a Catholic and I align with the Doctrine Catholic Church. Mm. And he, 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 he just, he just um, brushes off the difficult questions but can still keep honouring like Theresa May and, and playing a part where he's actually never speaking bad or being political. He's, he's, he's being bold and courageous, but he's never being, uh, bringing down her character. And he's kind of, I think he's, I think he's trying to be as integrity, you know, someone who's trying to be a, a Christian and integrity as they possibly can. Mm. I think he's a really good example of how to manage the media and be a voice and not cowed away from it, which... Yeah, I think I think going along the lines of what you just said, his ability to separate his his beliefs from how he how he would govern. Yeah. And I think that's something that that is has been wholly missing. Uh, maybe not wholly missing, but I think people have a difficult time hearing someone who's who's professed to be a Christian saying they believe this, but they wouldn't govern based on that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's it's been used to Obviously, put these put these politicians down in their in 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 a place. However, it's it's also it also speaks to the intolerance of of that side of that side of the aisle. And it's not a us against them mentality at all. But I think the more we can we can highlight that we can believe something, yet we're not going to force mm -hmm. that on other people yeah. because yeah. that's what's been lacking in politics for so long now. A politician says they believe something; they have to enforce it on people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think the ability to separate ourselves from yeah. our personal beliefs to maybe our political stance on issues is is something that I think Christians can really stand out on in that we are understanding. We do provide grace. We do um, we do believe strongly in, in, in whatever issue it might be. However, we're all one people and I have to govern these people, not just dictate how I think mm. some of the country should be run. I, I, th I think this is where um, the perception is that pol politics and religion are overwhelmingly linked mm. and that people see and feel that someone who is a politician who has a faith would completely blur the lines and completely integrate those two together. And so every single political I mm. idea that they would have, every single political policy that they would implement would be fundamentally based on their faith. And being their faith, being personal to them, would only be um, self-serving and mm. not to the people that they serve who might not have that faith. Right. They're giving Christians no credibility or mm. no, you know, they're not giving Christians the ability to mm. say, hey, like you say, I can be a Christian, I can have this belief but at the same time believe that I'm governing a nation where there are many different beliefs and there are many different yeah, exactly. people that we need to um, to serve, many different ideas we need to, to cater to, and it's not one size fits all. At the same time, as I am looking to govern many different people from many different backgrounds, beliefs, and mm. everything like that, I shouldn't have to lay down my faith to be able to do that. I should still have the ability to carry... The, my values into my thought process and there's there's not really much room for that to happen at the moment and I feel like the media is not really giving politicians much room and at the same time Christians are not really doing very well in terms of supporting those Christians who want to do that or being or not contributing to the noise I think mm. there's a lot of noise out there but Adam I'm really interested in your opinion because in America it feels looking on it feels like it is very different I mean from my point of view Looking at the states and you know politically, 
I'm particularly sorry, the way that this word evangelical has really just become a huge word over the last couple of years because it's become associated with Trump supporters. And the word evangelical has basically come to mean anybody who supports Trump and anybody who got him into office. And Trump has some, was, appears to be someone who never really professed a real faith at any point in his whole life or his whole career. But as soon as he came into office, he was very closely aligned with lots of Christian leaders and lots of Christian people, which I think is great. I'd rather have them standing next to him than not. You know, I mean, there were more people surrounding him in prayer in, when he was inaugurated into office than for any other president, if, if the stories that you read um, in Christian media are to be believed. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like it's quite, quite different in America and that politics and Christianity or faith do really mix and they're almost necessary. What, what, is, what would you have to say about that? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's seen as a voting block. So yeah. if, if not as a blockade, but it's, it's a group of people. If I cater to them, I'm going to get their vote. Yeah. And you see that with, with every people group in the U.S. now. So you have one political party trying to divide people into groups, whether it's um, sexual preference, sexual identity, um, race, ethnicity, poverty level. You see this has been happening now for, for decades. And so evangelical Christians are no different in that we tend to vote very, not we, and I'm not putting myself in that group, but um, we in America tend to vote with our block of people. Yeah. And so I think those parties have been very clever in how they've kind of separated us into those blocks and can cater to, to each and every one of those. But I, I think, unfortunately, Christians have, in many cases, become, simply become pieces on a chessboard for, for, for an election mm. rather than yeah. um, having our own thoughts about issues. And one thing that um, I particularly, you know, it can be frustrating on Facebook seeing the constant political debate. But one thing that I've noticed in the last two years, whether it's been with Trump, whether it's been with Brexit, is that Christians are, are finally having different opinions about issues, yeah. or at least those, my, my friends mm -hmm. online anyway. And that's, that's incredibly refreshing to see that we're not all thinking a way. We're not, we're not um, all swimming down the same stream to do an in, impeding death or, or we're not necessarily going to be um, deceived in one way, even though that, that might not even be the case. And I think the problem is that, like, like you'd said, there's that skepticism, okay, is this guy for real? Or is he just using these people to get into office? Yeah. Or is this lady for real? Or is she just using these people to get into office? And that's where I think, like you said, you know, it's it's just good to see people who I trust at his side, or people who I think have have some sort of spiritual faith or faith at his side, better than not. And I, that's the tricky thing. But I think that division has been. Frustrating, but again, seeing the diversity of opinion over the last couple of years is also, it's been, I think, probably quite healthy for our ability to think for ourselves. Yeah. Mm. But do you accept, do you accept though, or, do, or would you reject the idea that there has been, to an extent, an exaggeration of the faith issue in American politics? Um, oh, has yeah. it gone too oh, far? I think, I think it's gone too far, but I often, I don't know if that's happened by the political by the politicians 
as much as it has by the evangelical leaders who like to see themselves on the same stage as the politician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's that thirst for power is often quite toxic and it can it can be intoxicating for for a lot of people. And I'm not I'm not saying I wouldn't be that same way. I've not been put in that position though. But it, it's an intoxicating thing, I think, to be next to people of power, to be in the same room, to be on the same platform as it a person is of power. The crux of everything, isn't it? That power mm. corrupts and corrupts absolutely. Um, I think Lex Luger, Lex Luther said that in Power a really money, <laughs> terrible Dawn of Justice movie. I can't Triple believe I'm, uh, I'm quoting him, but that's that's not Gold an original quote. Uh, it's not an original quote by any that means. One. Um, but you know this this one this one wasn't in our notes, but I'm just I'm just just to get more into the way of you um, into your guys' ways of thinking. Um, just take the the last election. Um, for instance, or or or, or the general any general election we have where we have a prime minister up for election and we have a choice, or in your case, Adam, the the president. What kind of things? What kind of things sway your vote? How, how, what kind of way do you vote? What do you look for when you vote for somebody? Are you are you looking? Do you find yourself looking from a, a strictly political point of view, or does your faith come into into practice? There is is your faith part of the way that you vote? For me, I, I look at the leader. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Firstly, um, I like to look at the the policies of the party okay. of the leader, and sort of what the leader is representing in in some way. I'm I, I can really float between being a liberal and a conservative. <laughs> I'm somewhere in between that. Yeah. Um, uh, if you're not someone, is that, is that is fair to say you're not someone who really does party politics? Correct. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't put myself in one party and mm-hmm. say I am a conservative yeah. or I am a liberal. Yeah. Um, but it concerns me if a party or a leader is maybe extremely liberal or mm. extremely conservative. Yeah. Um, I think that can be dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Um, so look for those things as well, um, mm. and um, look for a measured type of a leader. Mm. And I think a measured leader is is probably going to be someone who leads with a certain amount of wisdom. Um, and so, yeah, somewhere in the middle, I we guess, don't always for me. Have, we don't always have the ability to see that, though, because they haven't gone into power yet, though. That's correct. So. That's right. So you're, you're, you're basing your vote on an assumption on what you believe, on what they're projecting. So that's right. Certain, certain traits in their personality that you can see being good in leadership and yeah. other traits that you can see maybe not. And I think chari- um, a person who's charismatic can often be somewhat deceiving as well. So that's challenging mm. because yeah. I think Tony Blair was quite a charismatic guy, um, young, you know, sort of had, was, yeah, I guess was very charismatic in the way he was, but I think he was quite deceiving in the way that he went about mm. leading the nation. And so I think that was, you know, you can be deceived as well. So it's, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? It is. He it was is. great in love, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Dan? No, I think just to add to that as well, I think, you know, you, you you look at the character of the person as well because yeah, sometimes you know, oh, you know, if I'm you know going from affair to affair. You can almost be excused, but I think it's important to look at the actual like the character because that says a lot. You know, things you can't hide, um, as well as like just competency. So I mean, even if you think about like what the you know even what the Bible talks about, like what makes a good leader, you know, you want to see those things. And I think what Simon says well, not anything that's at extreme. Is always a dangerous thing as well. Anything that's pushed too far to an extreme, yeah, is always a danger. 
it's so often the extreme people that get the attention though, isn't it? Mm. It's I, the ones that, that go all, all out and say ridiculous things that grab the attention. It's almost like someone who is measured and balanced, the kind of person that you're saying is what you'd look for in an ideal leader. They wouldn't really get the traction. No. They wouldn't really get the attention. They, they wouldn't really get the... The mm. buzz, yeah. The buzz, the, the new stories, uh, an effective campaign... So do you, do you think that straight away, because of the what, what, what so many people are mm. looking for in their political leaders, they're almost set up to lose and it's very difficult mm. to be that genuinely good, righteous, wholehearted, yeah, genuine, I don't know. I mean, genuine leader. Go back to Abraham Lincoln. He was pretty... Say genuine twice. It's good to be doubly genuine. Mm. I mean, I know it's a different yes. era, but Ab Ab Abraham Lincoln was quite quite boring compared to some of the other people around him. But... He was amazing at his, as, his, as, as a leader. I have to take your word for that. I never met him. Well, I haven't either. But <laughs> <laughs> I've, read, I've read a few biographies. I've seen the movie. It's so hard, though, isn't it? It's so hard because we, we, he gets lifted up as this incredible mm. leader, but it, it's, it's only based on what people have said and passed down. So the model for what good character looks like is, is we're basically taking it from pages. We're taking mm. it from text. We're taking it from words on a book. We've never we've never seen. We don't know what that literally yeah, yeah. looks like. But it, it is it you know it's still a good model yeah. to hold up to. I think we're being means. I think we're being almost in a way unintentionally set up to be drawn to these sorts of leaders though, because I think for so long our politicians have said a lot, but there's been nothing of of much consistency yeah. to yeah. to what what's actually coming out of their mouth. I was watching Question Time last week. And Great prep. Well done, Adam. Yeah, right. Every Thursday night. It was in Guildford last week. I didn't, <laughs> didn't get tickets, but I was watching it last week and I was hearing politicians talk for a minute, minute and a half. And at the end of it, like, I had, and, I, and I, I tune in quite closely, I have no idea what their policies are, what their stances yeah. are, yeah. how they were agreeing or disagreeing with the question from the audience or from David Dumbledore, Dimbledore, <laughs> Dimble, from, from the Lord, 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 Lord of the Rings. Dimbledore. <laughs> yeah, I, Dimble they, they didn't answer the question, but they spoke for, for 90 seconds yeah. and, and said absolutely nothing. And so mm. the, the problem with, with not being able to say what you think is, as a leader is that when someone comes along and says exactly what they think, take Bernie Sanders, um, Nigel Farage, Donald Trump, then... People are going to be drawn to that, and it's going to. I think it's an unintended consequence of of where we've gotten to at this point. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys have raised a, a lot of really good points there. I mean, for me, particularly on when it comes to manifestos and policies, I, I really do pay no attention mm. because I think everybody writes a manifesto that they say is you know it's it's going to be great and. I tell you what, I'm going to give credit to Trump here mm. for for the first time. He's one of the first people I've ever heard, I've ever seen, have a manifesto and then actually stick to it. I'm saying, well, you know what, good or bad, whether we liked what he said he was going to do or not, he's actually, he's actually being transparent. He's actually being straight down the line. He says, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to do it. So often in this country, I feel like we have people come out with their manifestos. They say, this is what our government is going to look like. And then they get into parents. They have no ability to actually enforce any of those policies. And they just have to run with whatever the world is, whatever the country is doing at that time. And it becomes something completely different. Kind of stick so, the finger up in the air and test which way the wind's blowing. And exactly. Do that. Yeah. It, it, that, I mean, and that may not be any, through any fault of their own. That is often the way that politics just goes. That's often the way it 
economics goes and it forces you in a direction you, you, you didn't foresee going in the beginning. So for me, the, one of the main things I look at is, like you say, character. And um, it doesn't have to be super charismatic, but I'm looking for someone, I've said it before, the, the, the third time, someone mm. who's genuine and I'm looking for motivations. So at the moment, uh, I'm, I'm looking at Theresa May and there are many things that you could throw at her, there are many things you could say that are not great about her leadership. But fundamentally, when I look at her, I see someone whose desire and motivation is to do the best for this country as she possibly can in a time where it's incredibly difficult. Yep. And whether she's doing a good job at that or a, or a bad job, I'm saying, you know what, to me, that doesn't matter. The fact that I, I feel like your motivation is pure, that is good enough for me to get behind you. And um, I think so often today, people are so concerned with getting, going against people that we really, we really don't have any opportunity to see what it, like, it looks like to see someone genuinely supported. Uh, I, I, think, I think the political establishment does a, a terrible job of showing what it does to support. I think, you, like you said, you've already mentioned the way that power just has the ability to completely corrupt people. And no one's ever really moving in the same direction. There's so much backstabbing that goes on in politics. And I just want to ask if you guys get a sense of how you feel things are today on the ground. So I think we can all agree that the political situation is, is pretty poor in, in both nations, in both the UK and the US. The political situation with the actual politicians and how they're working together, well, they're not working together. It's a poor situation um, and it's, that's why it's causing so much political unrest. But when we get to the ground and we get to people like you and me uh, and the way that we engage in politics, what do you feel is the atmosphere at the moment and do you feel like Christians are engaging in politics in the right way from what you see? I, I mean, personally, before Brexit, I would think that there wasn't much um, engagement in politics. I think... Um, uh, our generation was sort of a bit like, oh, who cares kind of yeah. thing. Nothing really happens anyway. Um, but I think then when when the Brexit conversation started and when Brexit happened, yeah. there was all of a sudden this huge engagement into politics and now what we think mm. and what, yeah. what you think. And so I think just recently there's been a real, real gravitation towards it. Mm. Do you think Christians have contributed positively to that conversation? I mean, I've never known it to be so divided, really. Mm. You know, it's probably the first time when you've actually seen Christians at each other's throats yeah. on political issues. I mean, I can't yes. remember that since, you know, growing up. Um, which is sad to see yeah. because a lot of energies, especially with social media now being so prevalent, a lot of energies burnt up. And that's sad to see, isn't it? But you, that, you, can, you can certainly feel the temperature on the ground. Adam, you're, you're, you're I think we've talked about in... Um in previous episodes on social media, you are someone who engages on social media. I feel like social media was super hot at that time. What what did you what 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 did you see on social media happening? I mean, the Trump thing was happening at the same time. So very similar. Yeah, what did you it, see what was happening on social media in particular? Um, thing thing I, I think I've, I've worked out but on from social, Christian point of view specifically. Yeah, what, what, I think I've, I've worked out that firstly everyone's right. Everyone thinks they're right anyway. <laughs> yeah. So having, I mean, I'm I'm not one for having having debate online, but um, from a Christian perspective, I find that, and I was having discussion with with a friend in New York this summer, said I I could be a part of a political party in America. I could move back to the states, get involved, 
work my way in, work my way up. Um, but I don't know if I'd actually solve the problems because I'd only, I'd only be representing 30 to 50% of the population of my country. Yeah. So I could do the same for the other side if I was going to do that for the other side. What I want to be able to do and what I hope that that comes out of maybe this conversation today, faith and politics and Christians and politics is how do we serve those who are in power, whether it be through prayer, yes. whether it be um, through just shutting down useless and senseless debates where there's name calling this, that, all the above. Like how do we serve those in power? And, mm. and I think, you know, when, when Obama was in office, I was praying for him. Now that Trump's in office, I'm praying for him. Mm. I might not agree with both of them ever um, or always, but the reality is, is that, that I could sit by, throw stones, and, and do absolutely nothing except cause greater division. Yeah. Or I could have a say in it through my prayers. Very good. So do you, do you, do you think that Christians, because we're going to talk about leaders um, as we come to the top of the show, but um, at the end of the show, sorry, but do you think that the social media interaction from Christians was a good one or a positive one, or do you think it was largely negative? Um. Oh no, I'm leading. I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I'm questioning. I think, like, like the previous conversation we had, provocative. Um, on about social media, I just don't know what good it does to have these debates because no one's mind yeah. is getting changed over yeah. over online debates. Again, it's. So how do you I, think, I think Christians? I think if people wouldn't, if they wouldn't say it to your face, then then don't mm. write. It. I think that yeah, should generally 100%. be. I, I was actually of, very disappointed from what I saw. Yeah. on social media from mm. Christians. Yeah. You know, yeah. not from non-Christians because you expect that, right? But from Christians yeah. who were throwing stones at each other and falling out with each other and saying, I'm not you I don't consider you a friend anymore. Mm. I'm friending you on Facebook because yeah. you support Brexit. Like those sorts of things are outrageous from yeah. Christians. Or you calling know? people Pharisees, whitewashed yeah. tombs, and it's spiritualizing. Yes. Or yeah. It is dogmatizing a non- a non-faith decision. Yeah. And right. I think it goes both ways and, and it still does in whether it's in the US or in the UK right now. It's it's it, And I guess the thing is social media provides a platform for our opinions and so it's very tempting to get pulled into these debates and arguments, isn't it? Mm. Because it's a platform to share and for people to hear our opinions. So it's easily, it's you, you can get easily wrapped up into it, I think. Totally. But, you know. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I'm bringing up social media yeah. is because at that time, it is the time when I've seen social media being so, so prevalent. I mean, every everyone's Facebook and Instagram was just blowing up around that time. It was crazy. It was relentless. And the thing that struck me was there was there was an air of despair from the Remainers, and whether people were Christians or not, they were contributing to the mm. air of despair. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Instagram post that we posted on uh, on the Thinking Room podcast this, this week was from the march that took place in London this weekend. There was a march of six to 700,000 people marching against the Brexit vote. And um, there was a 16-year-old um, kid with a huge placard saying, I'm 16 and Brexit stole my future. And I just felt that that was, you know, that was so sad that a young person can have the whole entirety of his hope in this world based on one political decision. And because we've made one political and economic decision, he now feels he has no, no future. And I think mm. that as Christians, 
anybody who supports that kind of rhetoric, anybody who supports that kind of narrative, is basically missing the whole point in Christ. Mm. I mean, what was it? What was you that said, "My hope"? What was that song that we sing? "My hope is in Christ alone and nothing else." I think you made a post on um, oh, was social it Cornerstone. media. Cornerstone. Yeah, that, you were, yeah, that was years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, um, well, you were basically making a pun on the fact that we yeah, sing. Yeah. My hope is in Christ alone, Cornerstone. Mm. My hope is in Christ alone. But at the same time, if the economy falls down, then I have no hope. Yeah, I think it was my hope is built on nothing less than exactly. remaining in the EU. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was that was the tweet. It was brilliant. And mm. uh, I just feel well, like... Well, you would have believed that if that's what all you read. Totally. You know? and it's, that, it's that lack of awareness that we are powerful people. We have the ability to create our futures. Yes, yeah. And that's where I think I think people who support Brexit in in the media aren't aren't voicing that side enough that we get to control our fate now. Yeah, like more more so than than we had the ability to do so before. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and that is not coming out of this discussion that we are, to the extent that these agreements take place in the next few months, we're a free people. Mm. We determine our fate now. That we can go back into the EU, or we can find out what else is out there. And explore the wide world, and 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 see see how we can thrive or prosper mm-hmm. as a nation, in another way. And if that goes belly up, then fine, go back, go back and join the EU at some point. But I think to not do it, and we've come not we as in I, I didn't vote in the election or in that in the referendum, but then as a nation, it's gotten to this point, it's gone this far. So I think. Yeah, I think having but, a well, go that's a, that's would a, be would be worth it. That's a political argument, isn't it? And um, you, you, some some people will say that's a good one. Some people will say that maybe they they disagree with that one. But from a Christian point of view, what we cannot argue against, and what we should not argue against, is the fact that we live in hope. Mm. We do not live in fear. And if the entirety of our hope can be reduced to a single vote or a single economic situation then I feel like the narrative that we are professing about having a, a hope that overwhelms all those things, that is bigger than all those things, i.e. the hope in Christ, then I just feel like we are, we're the same as anyone else and we're not really elevating the gospel to what it really should be. And that is something that brings people hope to people of all, all ages, all political opinions, all situations in life, and that economy or political state does not have the last say on the direction of our life. We mm. have trust that we have favor in God and that whatever happens, there's there's bigger fish to fry. Mm. I mean, the ultimate example, as we were talking about earlier, like you said, Simon, was Christ. Christ lived in a very political time. Yet Hostile, there was no yeah. there was no nothing political at all about anything that he did. Mm. Mm. Which, right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, well, he was lived in a very hostile political environment, didn't he? And he had to navigate that in the best way that he could. And he honoured the law of the land, yeah. but he preached hope. Mm. And he didn't preach hope to overthrow the Roman Empire. He exactly. preached hope, the kingdom of God is coming. Amen. You know? mm. I very am good. the hope of the world type of deal. Yeah. Um, which is, again, connected to what you were yeah. sort of opened with I was as just, well, just thinking it? about um, like Augustine when he talks about Two cities, a city, you know, the earthly city and the city of God, and they're kind of intermingled on this earth. But yeah, but the earthly, the earthly city is those that 
everything in life is still based around self. But the city of God is where it's moving in a different direction, although we're intermingled. But the people who are a city of God, they're moving towards Christ. They're moving away from their self towards Christ. Mm. And that is ultimately a different kingdom. It's, it's an upside down or, or even the right way up kingdom. It's what Christ preached. He, we'd not tr- to get involved in too much politics is trying to influence the earthly city. Yeah. But we are just, Simon's favorite word, sojourners, pilgrims on a journey. We, are, we should feel lost in this world. We're only on a journey through this place because our hearts aren't in this fleshly way of going for self. And I think that has to be the final picture in how we see Christianity is that we're not trying to sometimes fix this, but we have to know that really it's Christ at the center of it all. And if people's hearts are changed, that's going to be ultimately what's going to bring the most amount of hope. Very good. Yeah. So that kind of leads into my last question then. And um, But to, let's, let's address it on more of a practical level, if we can. I mean, I know it's not easy, but as much as we can. What do you think is a biblical approach to our current state as a nation? In the, in the, in the situation that we are now, craziness going on everywhere, really unstable government, really uncertain times, really uncertain future... What do you think is a biblical approach that we should be taking as Christians? I, th- I think just coming off the back of what Dan and Simon and, and you've alliterated to earlier, it, it's hope. Yeah. I think... Mm. I remember it's like it quite was, who has the most hope, has the most influence. Yeah, and I was, so I was, was going to mention that, and I can't remember who said that, but I think the day after Trump was elected, yeah, the, the, the morning after that, I, on my Facebook feed, I just wrote, it's the last political statement I think I've made. It wasn't even political, but it was just our role as Christians. I wrote... That quote, he who has the most hope has the most influence. And it had nothing to do with who was elected the night before. It had to do with how we now mm-hmm. handle ourselves. I didn't yeah. say that, but interestingly, um, people from different perspectives are like, yeah, brother, Trump. And then someone was like, I can't believe you said that, Adam. He's an evil man. And But they viewed it through their own lens of what I meant rather than looking at themselves. I didn't mean mm-hmm. it about Trump. I meant it about ourselves. So how do we respond to this now that... Trump was elected in America and we disagree with that or agree with it. How do we handle the Brexit chaos that, that's ha- taking place right now? And it comes down to hope. Mm. The person who has the most hope will have the most influence. And I think as believers, we have to carry that torch higher and stronger and brighter than anybody else. Mm. I love that. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the Bible also t- teaches us to pray for our leaders. You know, that's a, that's a Christian stance yeah. is to whatever your political preference is to, I think we've mentioned it before already, but to to commit to praying for our leaders and believing the best. Yeah. That is very true. And that, that is 100% mm. biblical approach to to the situation. Um, the Bible does say to honor our leaders, but do you, do you think there's any caveats or limits to that? Because people will quickly want to qualify that and throw in their own um, limits to those things. How do you feel about that? I mean, there are boundaries, aren't there? Anything that goes against fundamental, you know, core beliefs in the in the, in the Bible, then there are rules to go against that. I think. You mm-hmm. know, I think. You know, look at people like Bonhoeffer. You know, when when there is tyranny that's causing problems, I think there is a a precedent to just you know take action that's contrary to what the leadership's doing, and I think that's okay. Yeah. I think I think there's a, there's a problem today that too many people take issue with leaders because it affects things that personal in their life or makes them feel um, makes them feel victimized. But really, Triggered. there's nothing. 
What was I that? They feel triggered. They feel triggered. Triggered. Yes. There's nothing really too biblical about the way and the, 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 about their objections. And, and and the worst thing that I hate is character assassination. I mean, everybody loves to throw stones at the people in power and say you're you're not a moral person, as if we are all we are all perfectly moral. And if we were up there, that they, that the media wouldn't find a story about us in five minutes that could completely discredit us. I don't think there's anybody that could get up there that would be say, hey, look, I'm sin-free. There's one person who who did it, and he never he never stood on that, and he never used it as a political means, and that was that was Christ. Um, but I, I feel like, yeah, like you say, Dan, there are times, there are times when it's going against the fundamental values of Christianity and mankind. But so many, so much of the time, we're so far away from that that even if we have issues with the leaders, is it enough for us to stand in direct opposition and contribute to the air of uncertainty, contribute to the air of doom and despair? Because really, sometimes we just need to get behind people, whether they're good or bad, and just try to help them do the best job possible. Because the perfect person who hasn't sinned and has a perfect character and agrees with and has every policy that we agree with is never going to come along. I feel like it's um, really short-sighted. But thank you guys so much for those thoughts. I really love um, your thought, Adam, that the one who has hope has the most influence. I think as Christians, we have to lead from the front with that. And I think if there's one thing that we have to, if we can take away individually that I'll be taking away myself anyway from from this discussion is always to be able to profess hope in the world of politics. It sometimes doesn't look like a very hopeful place. It sometimes can be filled with uncertainty, but let's see if we can be the people that rise above and let our hope in Christ be the thing that shines and speaks louder than anything else. Thank you all for listening at home. If you've enjoyed listening, feel free to go and share a cheeky uh, Instagram shot or something on WhatsApp or something on Facebook or anything else like that. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time.